This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa. Always giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Magesi, driving the show with Onilin Tsintsi, Tabi Solihoko, as well as Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Militias in the Central African Republic abuse peace deal. SIFAC Africa Forum host panel discussion on uh, instability in the DRC. Zandile Kumete to fight axing. In economic news, Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari has told the Central Bank to stop providing funding for food imports. And in sport, trailblazing female referee Stephanie Frapat says she will prove that female officials are as competent as their male counterparts. Hello, Anele, how are you? Better than you. How are you doing? Yo, <laughs> yo. Okay, so today was actually a day where I actually had to drag myself out of bed yeah. to get here. Um, but uh, you know what? We we do what we need to do. Today you actually had to stay home. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Actually, yeah. Not even drag yourself out of oh. bed. But in the chillin' that say say, we shall suffer for this money. <laughs> But anyway, the time is 17.01 Central African time. Let's cross on over to the news desk. Here is Onilin Tsintsi with your latest news bulletin. Thank you, Samara. A government military base in the lower Shabal region of Somalia has been struck by car bombs and gunfire and the Al-Qaeda-linked Al-Shabaab group claimed responsibility for the attack. Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for the attack, saying it has killed 50 soldiers and two of its fighters have died. Government officials were not immediately available to comment on the incident or confirm the casualties. The jihadist group and government officials tend to give sharply different casualty figures for these attacks. Tunisia's Electoral Commission has approved 26 candidates, including two women, for next month's presidential election and has rejected 71 other applicants. The September 15 vote follows the death uh, at age 92 last month of Beji Kaid Esebsi, the first president to be democratically elected in Tunisia after the popular uprising in 2011. It will be the third free election in Tunisia since that uprising. A court application to set aside the findings of the Phylum Commission into South Africa's Marikana killings is being processed. Lawyers for the families of the over 40 killed workers argue that the commission exonerated politicians, ministers, union leaders and lawnmen executives. They want a new inquiry that will also prove the role of President Sera Ramaphosa, then Lonmin's non-executive director, and some former ministers. Andres Nkome is the lawyer that represents the 230 arrested and injured workers. Look, we have taken instructions from our clients immediately after Falam Commission issued out its report to say that we must approach the court and uh, get the court to conclude in the same way as we are arguing that the massacre took place as a result of a, a, a toxic collision between state and capital. The graffiti that symbolizes Sudan's uprising are being painted over across the capital Khartoum, leading to the disgruntlement of protest leaders who are urging military authorities to stop their whitewashing. The force for freedom and change that led the month-long protest movement that brought down long-time ruler Omar al-Bashir says the enemies of the revolution have been systematically erasing murals. In recent days, some of the colorful murals and slogans that appeared on the walls of the capital during the early stages of the protest that ousted al-Bashir were painted over. And lastly, new security measures have been put in place at Hong Kong's airport after pro-democracy protests led to the cancellation of hundreds of flights, which have since been rescheduled. The cancellation also affected South African Airways flights, the BBC's Stephen McDonald's. 
if any person commits, whether by means of any device, willfully in an aerodrome serving international civil aviation, any act of violence which causes or is likely to cause death or serious personal injury and endangers or is likely to endanger the safe operation of the aerodrome or the safety of persons in the aerodrome is liable on conviction on indictment to life imprisonment. Channel African News, I am Onilintinti. Alright, so today is Wednesday the 14th of August. It is the 226th day of 2019. Only 139 days left in the year. What are you doing with those 139 days? Let us know on info at channelafrica.co.za plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and also on Twitter at channelafrica1. Speaking of Twitter, just some miscellaneous news. Uh, the basic education minister Angie Mutsecha has distanced her department and reading initiative, the Read to Lead campaign, from a series of semi-naked pictures of women posted on Twitter by the department's spokesperson, Elijah Mthanga. Onele, have you seen these tweets? Have you seen I have seen the inappropriate pics. I don't know how what the procedure is for them to even get to a point of posting mm. because somebody should have said something. Mm, mm, I get you. But also, I feel like, what, what does this say uh, about reading to children? When you look exactly. At this, you know, does it say that um, because it, to explain these photos to you as a listener, um, there's a half naked man who is uh, sitting on a couch reading a book, and there is a woman who is wearing a shirt, pres- shirt. presumably yeah. his shirt. Um, so this alludes to something sexual. He's you know? he's. It's like playing mind games with people, you know. But who is he talking to? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I read but, something else with but, the pictures. But you also, know, and the, you know, just to play devil's advocate, they also say that sex sells. Um, so yeah, maybe but are we going to use it on everything? I mean, as uh, a minister, is that something? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. We're putting this out to the public, and we want them to let us know. Info at channelafrica.co.za at channelafrica one on Twitter and plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. Starting off with the first story of the day, uh, after years of bloodshed in the poor and largely lawless Central African Republic, renewed hopes of peace and being eroded are being eroded by the country's militia groups, experts say. The military situation across the landlocked country has been considered stable since the deal. The 13th in a decade was signed in February between the government and 14 armed groups. Yesterday marked the country's 50s, uh, 50 years of independence from France at a a celebration held at the Embassy of Central African Republic in Pretoria, South Africa. They spoke about the relations between the two countries. You know that we have a very long relationship with CAR. Firstly, it started in Elinawa Democracy where we assisted CAR on the military training where we send our troops there to be instructors so that they trained the soldiers there in the army. You know the history, what happened after that, the rebels, Serita rebels, which then attacked our troops and then we had to withdraw them and all those matters. Then the process of negotiation, of trying to bring peace in that region, finally yielded results where a peace agreement was then signed after the visit of the of the president of African Central Republic here in, in, in South Africa. Now we are in a process of finalizing the bilateral relations in the in the area of uh, peace and security so that we are able to assist in the stabilization of the situation there. As you know, there are millions and millions of people who got displaced as a result of these wars that were going on in that country. So as South Africa, we have got a direct interest of ensuring that there's peace and security in that country. But at the same time, we want to see development, prosperity taking place. But you know, there can be development and, and prosperity under the 
condition of instability. As you mentioned earlier, the peace of agreement was signed in February in Khartoum. That there's still some more war between uh, the soldier, I mean, that signed that peace of agreement in Tomboku and Bambari. What that can be done so that uh, the Republic of Central Africa can finally have its peace? That's why we've sent a, a team led by Ruf Meyer, Mohamed Baba, Ibrahim Ibrahim, to try and bring everybody together within the context of the truth and reconciliation, a lessons that uh, that country could learn from where we, we came from as a South Africa to be where we are today. So what is important is that we have to work together through the team that we've sent to see how best can we bring peace and stability, how can we bring these warring factions together. But what we must know, we must understand is that for that to happen, it's going to be a process. A process that will not be easy. You will still you will continuously have some elements that will be moving in the opposite directions. Elements that will always create problems. But it doesn't mean that we must then give up. It means we must try to our level best to persuade everybody to try and find a peaceful solution that will be lasting, a peaceful solution that will be accepted by all the wearing groups at the end of the day, so that we are able to build that country and therefore build the continent as a whole. Is there any specific strategy that uh, the South African government has already think about it so that uh, they could work with the army to sort out peace in that country? The team that I've referred to in my speech, they're busy working on the strategy and on the memorandum of understanding. It's what is being ironed out now so that by the time it's presented to the two presidents, at least it's something that we are convinced that is going to work, is going to bring a final and a lasting peace in that region. And that was Fish Masalela, South Africa's Deputy Minister of Tourism, speaking to Gift Igega Chancellor Luruaka Bahati. For close to six decades, the Democratic Republic of Congo, the DRC, has been the theater of rebellions and civil wars which have claimed more than 8 million human lives. There have also been numerous cases of extrajudicial killings, uh, torture, as well as sexual violence against civilians in the eastern part of the country. Armed groups have been on the increase fighting against each other and against the security forces over the control of natural resources, resulting in instability in the entire country. It is against the backdrop uh, that the SIFAC Africa Forum hosted a panel discussion in Johannesburg titled, Can the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, Become a Democracy? Leadership consultant Kasongo Lubo was one of the speakers. A discussion basically focused on how Congo can become a constitutional democracy and whereby the rule of law will be respected and all the institutions will be strongly established. That is the main actually aim of discussion. We'll be comparing to um, basically looking at the constitution and look at different mechanisms that we got in the constitution and how actually all the different, uh, let's say, structures of institutions that exist already in the Congolese uh, actually constitution can be actually strengthened and we can they actually have a kind of a very sustainable democracy and constitutional democracy if I may say so. What would you say are some of the challenges that are prevailing in the country that are yeah. making it difficult for Congo to become a democracy? First thing is we don't Definitely, even people who basically claim to have a better understanding of that uh, process of democracy, sometimes they don't look at, actually at the main, the, the fundamental issues in democracy and actually what is being prescribed in the constitution and see actually if the institutions that have been organized through the constitution are operating actually in accordance to the constitution. Let's just look at one thing, like, like the judiciary and everything that is happening in Congo. Can we say that actually the judiciary that we got is a kind of impartial judiciary and even the judges who are there, and I'm just going to look at one case, let's say our baby constitutional court, because we just 
started having it, I think, something like two years ago. It's quite an important aspect that we make this inquiry to look at it and decide that the parliament that we got now with Kabila fight and Felix Chisekedi, the issue we'll, we'll be facing again is going to be the same thing is how are we going to get the constitution to be able to control the president of the republic through constitutional rules and laws? That is the main, actually, the main challenges that I'm going to discuss about it and look at how basically we can basically um, strengthen our democracy. What then would you recommend or suggest, you know, needs to happen for Congo to become a democracy? One single thing is the respect of the constitution, the respect of the institution, and the rule of law. And definitely no one should be above the constitution. That is the only thing that I can recommend. And that was leadership consultant Kasongo Lubo. He was on the line to Ntlantla Masangu. The time is 17.15 and I did say that today is the 14th of August. 139 days left in the year. What are you going to be doing with those 139 days that are left? And uh, that's looking towards the future. But looking back now, today in 1947 Pakistan became independent of British rule and uh, in 1989 the South African president P.W. Bota announced his resignation after losing a bitter power struggle within his national party. This is Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. We'll continue right after this. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Moving on to KZN in South Africa right now, where supporters of the axed Etekwini mayor Zandile Kumete say the decision by the African National Congress, ANC's Provincial Executive Committee in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province, to recall Kumete without clear terms of reference in terms of what they're looking for shows that the former mayor is uh, being persecuted. Their comments came after the PEC took a decision to recall Gumede and the rest of the Durban Metro's executive committee, citing concerns about a lack of service delivery. My colleague Sakina Kamwendo spoke to Mzomu Tledube, who is speaking on behalf of Etekwini ANC branches. Are you saying that uh, the reasons given by the ANC KZN PEC are either untrue or that you find that they are unsatisfactory? Well, you will be the judge, but what we actually know is that we, 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 we have a mayor who was placed on the leave of absence on basis that she is conflicted with the law. And they further uh, extended her leave on basis that they believed the leave conditions never allowed her to execute her duties freely. So we further waited because they indicated that there was a report that was being processed in pursuit of a, a credible outcome around this issue. And uh, immediately when everything uh, is actually reported, it changes without the first one that was reported uh, reaching its closure, which means we never heard how the turnaround came about in terms of changing now the leave of absence to be directed to the question of the performance of the municipality and the functionality as such. So if, 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 if I present to you such an unfolding of events, you should tell me wh- how, how one would interpret such a, such, such a behavior. Are you saying then that the PEC didn't communicate clearly the reasons why they took the decision that they did? 
I would say when you talk about a, a report that was created by COCA provincially, you must also take note of certain aspects of that report. Is it true that they actually consulted the mayor when the report was constructed? The answer is no. Is the report credible or enough to be elevated to the level where you can take a political decision that will impact on a deployee? We don't know. We're still studying the report to actually establish that part of the report. However, we must note that this is not the only report that was produced in recent times. We have another report that was uh, produced by National Minister Dr. So we don't know how does the PEC decide to pick one over another. So what recourse do you have then uh, as the Eteguini branches on whose behalf you speak? Uh, will you be challenging this decision by the PEC? Well, it's obvious, but what, what, one before he challenges anything, one, one must establish the basis upon which you will challenge the issue. That is why currently we are busy studying the report. Probably by this afternoon we would have actually reached the final stage of understanding whether the report was enough for anyone to make a pronouncement of someone who may have failed the municipality uh, at the level of a mayor. And uh, should you find that uh, perhaps uh, you, know, you are not satisfied with those reasons, then what? Well, we will actually uh, follow the remedial actions which are, are commonly uh, understood in the legal terms. And then from that, we will take it to court if then uh, nothing comes out of it. And that is Mzomhle Tube, who is speaking on behalf of Etekwini ANC branches on the line with my colleague Sakina Kamwendo. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says the ruling party, the African National Congress, is irrevo- irrevocably uh, committed to the economic empowerment of women. He was fielding questions from hundreds of women at the ANC Women's League dialogue with him at the Moyeni Conference Centre in Parktown, Johannesburg last night. The women were drawn from various sectors, including academia, domestic and farm workers, disabled persons and women living with HIV, amongst others. The meeting was called by the Women's League to afford women an opportunity to raise issues affecting them with the president. Our political correspondent, Debo Mukobo, was there and filed this report. Women united in their diversity but still bound by the same challenge of overcoming a patriarchal and a discriminating society. To President Cyril Ramaphosa, they painted a picture of a country that had failed its women. Hailed as the champion of disabled people, Masingi Tamasunga said it's an uphill battle to make ends meet for disabled persons in South Africa. Mr. President, until when there's inclusion of people with disabilities in every sphere of society, until there are equal opportunities for us, until my intellect and my emotional intelligence is not questioned until that day a woman with a disability can go to the maternity ward and not being asked how did she get pregnant. I cannot speak as a woman in this country. That would be ticking a box. Konisi Jeo, an unemployed graduate with at least five degrees, has been living with HIV for the past 23 years. She says women living with the virus are still stigmatized. Mr. President, we need help as women who are living with HIV. There's no support for us. We end up giving birth prematurely. I gave birth to twins at 24 weeks. 24 weeks is five and a half months. My daughter spent four and a half months in hospital. My son passed away in my arms at two months. Medical aid doesn't cover most of the things that we go through because I'm predisposed to HIV. I ended up with a bill of two million rands. We had to sell what we call a home, my mother's home. And last year we sold my house. I'm five to being homeless and yet I am a graduate with five distinctions in my name. It cannot be that we are being punished for something that we did not ask for. The president also listened to harrowing experiences of domestic and farm workers as well as other professionals. But he promised them that the ANC and its government will strive to ensure economic empowerment happens in their lifetime. As the governing party, we are irrevocably committed to the empowerment of our women. We've gone on to have equality 
within the ranks and structures of the African National Congress. That is never going to change. So you can tick that box and say the ANC is committed to ensuring that there will be equality. And comrades, we are going to do it. This we have to do for the sake of our country, for the sake of the future of our country, for the sake of our children and grandchildren as well. And we will do it. Watch this space. Meanwhile, lack of unity in the ANC was also a worrying factor for some women. ANC Women's League President Batabile Tlamini told the president that unity in the ANC will remain a distant dream with the governing party still steeped in divisions and factionalism. We do not want to fight with our organization. And therefore, if we have to maintain this relationship that we have all worked for, let's all try and unite the ANC. Whatever we are going to bring today will never happen with an ANC that is divided, with an ANC of factions, with an ANC of cliques. We were honest when we said we are going to subject ourselves to the elected leadership. She also urged the ANC to be consistent and treat women equally with their male counterparts. This comes in the wake of the recall of Itequini Mayor Zandile Kumede following allegations of corruption against her. Tlamini said in most cases men are not recalled when they face the same allegations as their female counterparts. I am Debomokobo in Johannesburg. Health officials in the Democratic Republic of Congo have confirmed the recovery of two patients of the deadly Ebola virus after only 11 days of an experimental treatment. The patients were treated by two experimental drugs named uh, Region EB33 and MAB114. And uh, this has increased hopes for a permanent cure, a cure after a trial showed that uh, they significantly improved survival rates. Jean-Nolbamweze reports from Kinshasa. The two patients, including a lady and her child, are now in good health and have been discharged on Tuesday from an Ebola treatment center in Goma, the capital city of the North Kivu province, to return home and join the family. They have been under treatment in the center for 11 days and their recovery has been described as a big success and a big message for all people here and out of the Democratic Republic of Congo that Ebola is a curable disease. The two lucky people were released during a ceremony that brought together so many people coming to witness their recovery. The head of the technical committee of repost against Ebola, Dr. Jean-Jacques Mouyembe, tells us about the ceremony. It was a very good ceremony yesterday because the two patients were treated in the Ebola treatment unit. They are very well now. The mother is very happy to go back home and she declared that uh, it is easy to acquire the Ebola infection. But now it is also very easy to be treated and uh, cure and uh, go back home. So this was a very, very strong message for the population of Goma yesterday. The Ebola outbreak has been described for long as a very deadly and incurable disease, but now health professionals are very happy. After the two molecules developed using antibodies harvested from survivors have shown a big success. This happens after tens of years of Ebola virus without a treatment and without a vaccine, but it's now a good news as a treatment is available and the disease is curable. A long story according to the head of the technical committee of repost against Ebola, Dr. Jean-Jacques Mouyembe. It is a very, very long history. You know that the virus was uh, detected for the first time in, in 1976, and now we have uh, four decades without treatment, without vaccine. The researchers in DRC and uh, in partnership with NIH and other scientific institutions, we started to see how to find molecules that uh, can treat Ebola infection. Our experience was in 1999 and 1995 in Kikwit. We transfused acute Ebola patients with uh, blood from uh, convalescent and uh, seven uh, out of eight treated well cured so it was a message for the first time and now many many scientific institutions try to explore these preliminary results and more
most of them find that um, we can treat Ebola with monoclonal antibodies. We developed this um, technology, and now we can say that we have uh, medicine to treat Ebola patients. And the lady on behalf of herself and her child didn't have any way to keep her emotion. She pressed the guard and called on people to know it very well that Ebola is a reality. Praise the Lord. I thank God a lot because I, with my child, were sick of Ebola and God has cured us. Please never doubt or say it doesn't exist. Ebola exists. Praise the Lord. Meanwhile, it's sure that the neighboring provinces of North Kivu in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo and all the neighboring countries surrounding the DRC that side are out of danger. That's indeed what the Technical Committee of Post against Ebola, he said, the head of the committee, Dr. Jean-Jacques Mouyembe, told Channel Africa, prudence is needed, but there is no more danger. We must be prudent because the first thing to do is to avoid the infection, and after that is to break the transmission. But if the disease is there, we can give medicine, monoclonal antibodies, and cure the patient. So coma is now free of Ebola. So we must maintain the situation. And so we have to strengthen our surveillance system and also the communication with the population. So we are more or less confident that um, Ebola will not come back to Goma. But we must work to have a good situation in other places. The Ebola outbreak started in the Beni territory of North Kivu in August last year and indeed more than 1,800 people of the more than 2,800 infected people have been killed in both provinces of North Kivu and Ituri in one year. Janowel Bamoise for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. 17.31 Central African Time. Here's Onelens Nsi with your latest news headlines. Somali army base has been hit by suspected al-Shabaab attack. Tunisia's electoral commission has approved 26 candidates, including two women, for next month's presidential election. And a court application to set aside the findings of the Falam Commission into South Africa's Marikana killings is being processed. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilin Tsinsi. A quick reminder that uh, later on in the show, we're going to be having your economics news as well as your sporting news. Tabi Solehoko as well as Neto Chimani are going to be here to tell us more about the Nigerian president, Muhammadu Buhari, uh, who has told the central bank to stop providing uh, funding for food imports. And uh, trailblazing female referee Stephanie Frappart, who says she will prove that female officials are as competent as their male counterparts respectively right now let's move on to nigeria where the second largest uh, who is the second largest contributor to global maternal deaths after india as a result of inadequate health facilities and lack of skilled personnel while working at the local hospital in nigeria one woman kikelomo mbada noticed even with uh, these high numbers and without a shortage of resources it was business as usual for political leadership so she decided to conduct research on the relationship between politics and maternal health in Nigeria. Our reporter, Sarah Kimani, met up with her on uh, the sideline of a summit for African researchers in Senegal and filed the following report. The United Nations estimates that Nigeria has approximately 58 maternal deaths every year. That's at least 800 women dying in every 100,000 live births. Dr. Kikalomo Mbada, a researcher in Nigeria. Every year we have more than 300,000 women who die from preventable causes related to pregnancy and delivery. And Nigeria accounts for 19% of that population. This were, however, not just numbers for Dr. Mbada. This were her people, Nigerian women like her. So with funding from Qatar, Africa, a grantee of the African Academy of Sciences, she sought to understand why these numbers did not bother the country's leadership. Funding, it turns out, was not a major problem. I found out that the nature of political leadership plays a really strong role. 
the nature in terms of the character of political leadership, speaking to integrity, his personal idiosyncrasies, his ideological persuasion. So to meet Sustainable Development Goal 3 of reducing maternal deaths to less than 70 per 100,000 life births by 2030, Nigeria needs to reduce its maternal mortality rate by 7.5% every year, a tough call that she believes is doable with political will. I have recommended that there be a reorientation that allows the key political leaderships and critical stakeholders a orientation that motivates them to push for safe motherhood as a policy priority in the country. Dr. Banda has begun dialogue with governors in the most affected states in Nigeria to make them understand the urgency of prioritizing maternal health. And that report was by Sarah Kimani all the way in Senegal. Port Elizabeth High Court Judge Irma Skuman has dismissed Pastor Timothy Omotoso's urgent application for leave to appeal against her ruling to allow the trial to be heard in Port Elizabeth. Last week, Skuman dismissed his application to have the charges heard in jurisdictions where the alleged offences occurred. She also ruled that the authorization certificate to centralise all charges was valid. The defense is challenging the jurisdiction of the Port Elizabeth High Court in South Africa as some of the alleged 97 sex offenses were committed in various parts of the country. But the defense has indicated it will take the matter to a higher court. Veronica Furi reports. Judge Skuman said in her ruling there was no prospect of the appeal being successful. She said the jurisdiction matter should have been raised in the pre-trial conference and questioned why it was being done now. Judge Skuman also reaffirmed her decision about the authorization certificate signed by the previous NPA head, Sean Abrams, saying it is sufficient with regards to the charges leveled against the accused. The judge also said all the documents provided to the defense by the state are sufficient to construct a defense. The NPA has welcomed Judge Skuman's decision. NPA spokesperson Lutolo Charlie says although they are not happy with the delay, the state is ready to proceed with the case. It was actually our argument that there were no prospects of them being granted leave to appeal. But we, it is unfortunate that now we are also having to wait and endure another delay. Uh, because they are going to petition the Supreme Court of Appeals. The state we are ready, so as soon as the matter is back in court, we will proceed with the trial. The case was postponed to the 7th of October after defence lawyer Peter Doberman indicated that they will petition the Supreme Court of Appeal. Meanwhile, congregants of the Jesus Dominion International Church gathered outside court in support of Omotoso. Pastor Oswangu Chuks says they believe he's innocent and has been falsely accused. We believe that he's innocent. When issues come like this, you just have to allow the, 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 the course of the law to you know, take its path. So that is what we have come. We are law-abiding citizens. We believe in justice. If somebody has accused you, even if you, you, are, you are innocent, you just have to follow the due course of the law. And that is why we are here. They are welcoming the publicity the church gets. When you mentioned the name of the church, you mentioned Jesus Dominion International. And that's the name we bear. And uh, I don't think there's anything that will bring bad impact in the name Jesus. So it's got a very positive impact because people are now beginning to wonder what is really going on. Is it that there's a lot of flaws in the case? People are coming in to find out this church is portrayed to be like this. Let's go and find out what is happening. And when they come, they live with testimonies. When they come, they see something contrary. So it's, heavy, it's, it's just free publicity, if I should say. It's, it's got positive impact, just like what happened to Jesus. That was a pastor of the Jesus Dominion International Church, Oswangu Chucks. I'm Veronica Furi in Port Elizabeth. Definitely a case that has had a lot of people talking all throughout South Africa and has cast a spotlight on uh, not only just uh, uh, sexual violations of women, but also uh, how religion plays a part in some of these cases as well.
But moving on right now, the number of migrants arriving from northern Africa via the central Mediterranean to Italy this year has plummeted. At the end of last month, only 3,600 asylum seekers had reached Italian shores compared to 120,000 people two years ago. But many more attempt the perilous journey and simply don't make it. Lampedusa, an Italian island close to Tunisia, has seen hundreds of thousands of migrants disembark at its port over the past few years. The BBC's Emma Jane Kirby has been speaking to locals about the rising death toll. It's the height of the summer season here in Lampedusa, and as you can probably hear, the local beaches are packed with tourists who are flocking to the island now that the number of migrants arriving here has fallen so dramatically. This beautiful cobalt blue stretch of water is just perfect for holidaymakers. But actually, the Mediterranean has now become the world's deadliest sea crossing. In 2017, one person out of 41 died. In 2018, one person out of 17. And now, so far, in only seven months, one person out of six. Marco Rotuno works for the UN refugee agency, UNHCR, across Italy. He's concerned that the ending of maritime patrols, such as the EU's Operation Sophia, which have rescued thousands of migrants trying to make the perilous Mediterranean crossing from North Africa to Europe, is contributing to the rise in deaths at sea. If states do, do not restore search and rescue capacity, we will have other tragedies and they will make this, this number much higher than, than it is now. Italy's hard-right Deputy Prime Minister, Matteo Salvini, has closed all Italian ports to NGO and humanitarian search and rescue vessels. In June this year, the German captain of the charity ship Sea-Watch 3, which had rescued migrants near Libya, defied those orders and docked at Lampedusa, insisting she had a duty to protect her human cargo. She was arrested as soon as she left the ship, accused of being a pirate and an outlaw. Angela Maraventano from Salvini's Lega Party insists the Italian government is right to impound NGO search and rescue vessels. I don't think it's true, she says, about a rise in deaths. Lampedusa hasn't seen any corpses arriving. At the moment, we've got ships operating, which aren't Navy or government-authorized ships, and it's been hard to establish if the operators are really savers of the sea or traffickers themselves. But I haven't seen any bodies arriving in Lampedusa, so this data is not reliable. Pietro Bartolo, the doctor of Lampedusa, is always on the phone. Always. This was him three years ago when we last visited the island. And that was the sound of him hurling his facts against the wall in exhaustion and frustration after years of treating hundreds of thousands of migrant arrivals, many of whom were little girls who'd been beaten and raped. Today he looks more shattered than ever and he's ditched doctoring for European politics. Lately, I've not been here much, he admits, from behind his heavily-lidded, dark-circled eyes. I'm at the European Parliament now. I'm an MEP in Brussels for the left. I'm at the Parliament because I want to change things, and I realize from here you can't change anything. He holds his head in his hands. You just see suffering from here. He goes on to tell me that he's part of a parliamentary working group revising asylum policy and that he hopes that in Brussels he can make the difference. It's true, he says wretchedly, it's true that the death toll is increasing. For 30 years I've been visiting migrants, treating them, doing autopsies on them, but nothing changes. I've written books, taken part in films, what more can I do? And I thought, maybe this is the right thing. He looks up at me and I see that he's close to tears. Today, he says, squeezing his mobile phone very tightly, there are bills proposed to make saving a person at sea become a crime. 
That's something that violates all human rights, our constitution, even international law, because it's a duty to help. But in fact now, it's a crime. The BBC's Emma Jane Kirby reporting from the Mediterranean island of Lampedusa, 17.44 Central African time. And here's a quick reminder that it is still Women's Month and we should all appreciate our women. You strike a woman, you strike a rock. Life by Design brings you a celebration of South Africa's Women's Month. Join us in the discussion as we unpack the impact women leaders have made in the continent. On Monday, 19th August at 8 o'clock Central African time, Life by Design will be talking to three phenomenal women leaders in government, business and religion. Send your voice note comments or questions to this WhatsApp number plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven and join the conversation. Channel Africa celebrating African women. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLeg to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Unfortunately, it seems like we're having some difficulty with our economics news at this hour. Um, but right now, we're going to take a look at uh, what happened in the past on this day, the 14th of August. Like I did say, it's 139 days left in the year. What are you going to be doing with the rest of the year? 139 days left. Uh, but let's look back now. Today in 2004, attackers with machetes and uh, automatic weapons raided a UN refugee camp in Western Burundi, shooting and hacking to death at least 180 men and women and children. And in 1960, Belgian troops are finally replaced by UN peacekeeping forces in the Republic of Congo. Now, um, looking forward to the rest of the year, I want to find out from Mr. Netrochimani what he is looking forward to changing uh, the rest of the year and also what are you looking forward uh, to to seeing in the sporting world in the rest of the year we only have 139 days left if we can fast track uh, development of women's football uh-huh. that will be great because for a longer period of time women's football women's sport let me put yes. it that way in general 
it's taking long to connect in terms of making sure that as male counterparts are afforded opportunities in terms of the remunerations thereafter after performance, it should be equal to women as well. But I mean, playing devil's, devil's advocate here, uh, people say that because men's sport is watched more, then therefore they are entitled to a higher remuneration. Um, what are your views with regards to that? There's a truth in that, but obviously if you avail opportunities like TV broadcast rights mm. for women in sport, yes. then advertisers will come on board. You know, the corporate world will come on board. You yes. know? And it's funny that sometimes you find that women are in powerful positions but still dragging their feet to take those brave decisions to Absolutely. say what happens on the left happens on the right as well. All right, and especially because it is Women's Month, I think that it's important to have these discussions and talk about these things. Uh, here at Channel Africa, we're absolutely committed to doing that and making sure that we uh, keep chipping away at uh, these injustices that we are seeing in the world today. 17.50 Central African time. Uh, it's time for us to cross on over to the sporting desk here, isn't it, Chimani? Thank you, Samara. From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Liverpool manager Jagger Jagen Klopp believes it's time female referees had more involvement in men's football as Stephanie Froppert takes charge of the UEFA Super Cup between Chelsea and Liverpool on Wednesday night in Istanbul. It will be the first time in the history of UEFA Premier Competition that a female referee will be in charge of the match. That's a very very smart decision that we finally can bring a woman to, 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 be, in, to be a referee of a very, very important game and a big game in, a, in front of millions of people. Um, and we all, I'm pretty sure, with all the emotions involved and stuff like this, in the moment I can say I'm really sure we all try to help tomorrow night, not to make it more difficult than the game itself is anyway. So um, I, will be, I will show my best, my best face, if possible. Um, Otherwise, my mom would be angry about this. So, and um, that's normal. So it's the first one, so maybe it makes it a bit more special, but um, I hope it's not the last one. Chelsea manager Frank Lampard has challenged his players to bounce back tonight against Liverpool after Sunday's 4-0 drubbing by Manchester United in their opening match of the season. Chelsea face Liverpool in the UEFA Super Cup in Istanbul tonight by virtue of winning the Europa Cup. I'm optimistic uh, because I believe in, uh, in the players and I believe in the fact that we are here in the, in the final because we deserve to be. That's the achievement of the players and the, and the club last year, not myself. But I'm very proud to be here uh, managing the team. Um, but I'm also very understanding of the quality of the opposition in Liverpool, a team that deservedly uh, won the Champions League. I have a fantastic manager and group of players. Um, so we know it's going to be a big test. But yes, for sure, I believe in, uh, in my players and if we can play to our maximum, then we can win the match. South African Premiership side Super Sport United will lock on with their Gauteng rivals Orlando Pirates in a Premier Soccer League PSL match at the Mbombela Stadium tonight. Matazanza are wounded after beginning the 2019-2020 season with a 2-0 loss to Mamelodi Sundowns in the Tony Derby clash almost two weeks ago. SABC Sport commentator and analyst Mlulek Nzabo says that both sides have quality players. See the Sport United who are trying to find their feet. They've got a couple of players coming, um, namely Gabuza, who's yet to really impress in, in Super Sport United colours. Um, will they do well under Kaitama Tembo, who's given a, a long run as a coach now to really develop his style of play and try to change and, and focus on how they play, perhaps? Um, that game, I think, it should be anyone's game, in my opinion. I can't pick a winner right now because of what I've seen so far the, uh, from uh, both teams. Meanwhile, the Pirates started their domestic campaign with a 3-1 win over Bloemfontein Celtic, but they were stunned by the Zambian side Green Eagles in the CAF Champions League clash over the weekend. Nzaba says they have depth to win everything on offer this season. Um, the London Pirates, I think that uh, if you look at last season, there was a, a little bit of consistency towards the end, despite having dropped points where it was uh, really crucial for them to do the, the, the job 
and also um, they started, they won the off-season uh, competition against Kaiser Chiefs, went um, uh, to, uh, to to play uh, in the uh, prelims of the uh, Champions League, uh, and did also there, there was uh, not a lot of people were impressed on how the, the style of play um, that they showed on the day, but I, I still think that Orlando Pirates are one of the contenders for the season. I'm not talking about the league, but I'm talking about uh, having to take what's on offer, almost everything that's on offer at the moment. In hockey news, the South Africa's men and women's hockey are doing well in the African Cup tournament currently underway in Stellenbosch in the Western Cape province. The tournament, which started on Tuesday, will wrap up on the 18th of August. So the host men team have the better of Namibia and Zimbabwe with 3-1 and 9-0 wins respectively. SA women's team kicked off to a resounding 6-0 win over Zimbabwe. South Africa's Ngobile Bilinduli speaks about his recent goals PHL was a good experience as it always is. Um, obviously, it was nice to get uh, an award, um, but I was more happy just to win the tournament with the Dragons for the second time, uh, which felt great, and I think the whole team contributed as a whole. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to be at the national team now and get more games under our belts. We obviously don't get as much international hockey as we would like, but yeah, it's nice to be at the team now and just try to continue building um, in this Olympic process and yeah we've obviously got a big task ahead of us to try and qualify and, and seal our qualification and yeah we're looking forward to to trying to do the job here. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for programming news and sport from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Itio Chemani. This is Africa Digest. Time for us to wrap up this hour of Africa Digest. Uh, Be sure to join us again later on in the evening from 1900 hours Central African time. But uh, for myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Ronald Piri, technical producer Catherine Maleka, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. Should you have any comments on the show, be sure to send us an email, a WhatsApp, or a tweet. That's info at channelafrica.co.za, plus 2776 or at Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Taking us to the top of the hour is Dobe Nyohore with a song called Kokpa. We'll see you again later.
Pala nya penyo 